Good morning, Bell Shoals. Good to be with you today. If you don't know who I am, my name is Tim Armstrong. I am the Riverview Campus Pastor, and we are about to launch our campus in, in just a little bit more than a month on September 10. So ask you to uh, continue to be praying for that. If you uh, are, are, are new to Bell Shoals, you're like, what's going on? Our pastor, Pastor Corey, uh, has a vision to launch uh, five campuses in the next seven years. And so Riverview is the first one on the docket. And on September 10th, we're going to be meeting in Sumner High School, 11 o'clock service. Would love to have you come out and join us. In fact, there's a couple things I'm going to ask for you. I don't get the stage very often, so I'm going to take full advantage of this. We need three things at Riverview. You ready? Number one, we need people to show up about 9 o'clock and help us unload our truck. We have to set up an entire church in the school in about 45 minutes or so. And that means like everything from our nursery, our toddlers, our kids programming, uh, all of our worship set. And it'd be great if we could just get a few folks that would come out and they would help us unload the truck at 9 a.m., take about 15, 20 minutes, roll some boxes into the places they need to be, and then you can skedaddle back here to the Brandon campus. I mean, that would be an awesome ministry if you'd be willing to do this. Now, here's the thing. Although we're launching September 10th, we're actually starting to practice at the school. It's not open to the public, but we're practicing doing our setup, doing our worship run-through and things like that. July 30th. So really just next week, the ball starts to roll. And if you just show up, nine o'clock, I'll have a donut for you, maybe a cup of coffee. We'd love to have you come join us. That's the first thing. The second thing that we need is what we're calling critical mass families. Now you haven't heard much about this, but you're gonna hear an awful lot about it in August. And we're gonna be pushing about 100 folks to be part of the critical mass crowd. Now, what is that? That's just what it sounds like. All you have to do is you and your family, you transplant from Brandon to Riverview for a very short period of time. Maybe you sign up for three months or six months or a year. We're not asking you to do anything. You don't have to unload anything. You don't have to serve anywhere. All you have to do is come fill a seat, create critical mass. And then as we grow as a congregation, you can make your way back here to Brandon. So that's the second thing. Third thing we're asking, you pray. Begin praying that God would open hearts of those in the Riverview area as they come. We're going to be doing an awful lot of advertising, billboards, social media. We'll be in the movie theaters. We've got all kinds of advertising that's going on. And we're just praying that God would bring people to Sumner High School and then open their hearts to Jesus Christ. But you know what, that, that means we need a praying congregation behind us. You've been praying for us from the beginning when we made this announcement. We've been doing the prep work. Now we're almost to the ready, we're ready to launch. We need the prayers to continue. Would you covenant with us to be praying that God would open the hearts of those who do not know him and we would have the opportunity to tell them of the greatest news in all of 
human history. I want to pause right now. Again, turn this back over to the Lord. He's the one who said, I will build my church. We as a faithful congregation, let's go before him and ask him to do just that in Riverview. Would you pray with me? Father, today we are beginning the journey forward of doing exactly what you called us to do. Jesus, you said to us as your disciples to go, to make more disciples. And we're listening to you, we're obeying you. We pray now that you would begin by your Holy Spirit to move men, women, young people, children, that when they hear the message, the good news, the gospel, that you died for them, taking their place, that you did not stay in the grave, but three days later rose, proving you are who you said you are. And that by faith, you transfer your righteousness to us. When we have faith, there's a transfer of our wickedness to you. That debt is paid for when we tell that story over and over. Lord, I pray that there would be multiple people that would come and say yes to you. As a church, we pray that even now. I pray for your people this morning. May they have ears that are open to your word today. And we wait upon you now in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I want you to take your Bibles. I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter nine. If you don't have a Bible, uh, open up your smartphones, turn to a Bible app. I want you to see the story. I want you to weave through the story with me. I want you to see how the words are laid out. I want it before you. Acts chapter nine, we're gonna begin in verse one. We're in a series called Interruptions. You've been kind of catching the drift now for the last few weeks. These are stories of how Jesus interrupts people's lives. And I hope you're starting to hear a theme. The theme is this, that there is no such thing as an interruption. There are only divine interruptions. Let me say that again. There is no such thing as an interruption. There is only divine interruptions. My wife reminded me of this not that long ago. We were flying through Charlotte. And every time, I don't know what it is about Charlotte, I fly into the airport, I'm almost guaranteed that there's gonna be a delay, I'm gonna be, get bumped, or there's a cancellation. When I saw that we were gonna be flying into Charlotte, I was like, ah, oh, no. I thought, all right, well, I had a choice. I could go through DFW. I decided, ah, it's quicker, we'll go through there. Sure enough. Delay. And then we get the little buzz on the phone, delay number two. And then we get the buzz on the phone, delay number three. And honestly, I don't know how many delays we had because we had delays going and we had delays coming. It was like, it was just delay city in Charlotte. But we're there trying to get out. We go to a restaurant, we're just hanging out. I'm getting frustrated and at this point, my wife, lovingly reminds me, you know, there are no interruptions. There's just divine interruptions. She was actually paraphrasing 
uh, a paragraph from Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot is the wife of the martyred missionary Jim Elliot, who lost his life serving the Aka Indians. She wrote this, when our plans are interrupted, his are not. His plans are proceeding exactly as scheduled, moving us always towards the goal of true maturity, including those minutes or hours or even years which seem most useless or wasted or unenderable. Isn't that true? There are times when we are in seasons that we don't know if they will ever end. It feels like an absolute waste, an interruption. But we must have the mindset of servants of Christ to realize this isn't just some coincidental interruption. No, this is a divine pause, a divine interruption, and his perfect work is being completed. We're gonna see that today in this passage in Acts chapter nine. It plays out right in front of us and probably one of the most fascinating interruptions in the New Testament. It's the interruption in the life of the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. Now, many of you might be very familiar with the story, but there's a key element here that you can't miss. The key element in the story is what Paul was like before Christ. You see, we know him as the Apostle Paul, but the reality is he wasn't just Paul the Apostle. Before that, he, you could call him Paul the Persecutor. Did you know that Paul was a persecutor of Christians before he became a Christian? You don't have to go very far. In fact, you just go back a couple chapters in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 7, we see him persecuting. Acts chapter 8, we see him persecuting Christians. In fact, Acts chapter 8, it says Saul, which is his Hebrew name, still the same man, was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He was dragging off men and women and committing them to prison. This is the Apostle Paul. Before he was the Apostle Paul, Paul was the last person anyone would ever expect to be interrupted by Jesus Christ. That sounds like some of our stories, doesn't it? Some of you are here this morning on a Sunday morning in church as a redeemed follower of Jesus and you look in your passion, people would have said, I would never guess that he or she would ever follow Jesus Christ. Paul was the last person anyone would expect to be interrupted by Jesus. We're going to learn three things this morning. Number one, no one is outside of God's interruptions. That's the first thing we're going to learn. Second, we're going to learn all interruptions have a purpose. And then lastly, divine interruptions always result in transformation. I'll come to the story and we'll see all these play out. First, verse one of chapter nine. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus. Why? So that if he found any belonging to the way. Now, that's just another term for a Christian or groups of Christians, any of those who belong to the way, that's what they called themselves then, men or women, 
he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now stop right here. You need to begin asking questions of the text. Why would Paul be treating people this way? Well, we need to learn a little bit about Paul. We need to learn a little bit about his zeal. And actually, after he became a follower of Christ, he gives us his dossier, his resume. We find it, you don't have to turn there, the text will come up on the screen, in Philippians chapter three. This is what he says about himself. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Now, this is what he's saying about himself. Let me just kind of break it down. What he's saying is, I was circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, he was unapologetically Jewish. He said, I was from the tribe of Benjamin. What's the big deal about that? Well, if you look back in Old Testament history, you find that the 12 tribes of Israel, 10 of them revolt against God, two remain faithful, one of those being the tribe of Benjamin. He said, I'm a part of the favored tribe. Next he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew. In other words, both parents are Jewish. And then he goes on, he, he says, I'm a Pharisee. Now, just so you understand, in Judaism, a Pharisee at that time was at the highest echelon of spiritual leadership over the nation. I mean, he was on his game. He was at the highest level. He was a Pharisee, a member of the ruling religious elite. And what was it about them that collectively drove them? They hated anyone outside of Judaism, especially those who claimed to be Christians. And he goes on and he says, to being zealous as a Pharisee, I proved it by persecuting believers. As to being one who followed the law of God, blameless. This is Paul's resume. This explains a little bit about why he was so zealous in persecuting believers. It was part of his religiosity, it was part of his thought process, it was part of his identity. So you gotta wonder, how in the world would God deal with this radical Jewish Christian hater? We'll come back to the text, look at verse three. Now, as he was on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly, here's the interruption, a light from heaven flashed around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saw, Saw, why are you persecuting me? Uh-oh. I mean, this is the tension in the text. Paul and the others, their horse rears up, they fall to the ground, he hears a voice and someone is speaking to him. I think he might have had an uneasy hunch of who that might have been. Why do I say that? Well, look at verse five. And he said, who are you, Lord? You notice there's a question there? And notice what verse five continues. And he said, and I think the answer must have fell like a weight on his soul, he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
his worst nightmare was coming true. He was discovering that Jesus was actually who everybody was claiming that he was, the Messiah. You say, what's the big deal here? We see this means that Christianity is true. This means that the way the followers of Christ, the ones he had been persecuting, some to death, were true, were right. This means he was fighting not for God, but against God. Now think about the makeup of this story. Remember the interruption and who's being interrupted. What does this tell us? No one is outside of God's interruption. And another way to say that, no one is outside of God coming to, to rescue and redeem. No one. I mean, we need to wrap our hearts and our minds around that. There is not a soul on this planet that you don't lock eyes with that doesn't matter to God. They might be filthy, vile, Christian haters. God still loves them. And they are not outside of an interruption, a divine interruption into their lives. It helps for us to understand that Paul's conversion story isn't just told here in chapter nine. It's actually told several times throughout the book of Acts, not only here in chapter nine, but again in Acts 22, when he's being arrested in Jerusalem for proclaiming the gospel, he tells his story. And then again in Acts 26, when he's before King Agrippa, and he shares his personal testimony to the king. We see it there. And that's where I'd love for you to turn. Hold your place in Acts chapter 9. But I want you to come with me and I want you to see the story unfold in Acts chapter 26. I'm going to read all the way from verse 9 through 18 because you're going to hear some new pieces to Paul's story. And in Acts chapter 9, or rather 26 verse 9, we start to unveil more of the conversation that happens on the road to Damascus. Now remember, he's telling his testimony to King Agrippa. So we're entering the story right in the middle of this point. Paul's talking to the king and he says, I myself, king, I was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I was absolutely convinced that what I was doing was right. Verse 10, and I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. He was around the murder of Christ followers. Verse 11, I punished them often in all the synagogues and I tried to make them blaspheme. And in a raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Now, watches the story unfolds in verse 12. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. 
At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the, the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Now we didn't see that line in verse or, or chapter nine. We see it now here in chapter 26. I don't want you to forget that. We're gonna come back to it. Jesus says to him, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise, stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. Catch this. He's about ready to get a new life purpose. To appoint you as a servant and a witness to the things in which you have seen in me and to do those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Now I want you to catch this, catch the whole story. Paul is interrupted. In that interruption, he is brought to faith in Jesus Christ. He submits to Christ. We'll see this in a moment. In that moment, Jesus gives him a new life purpose. Before, remember, he was at the top of his game. He was a Pharisee. Now, what does Jesus call him? You will be my servant. Went to Pharisee, to servant. He says, you're gonna be my servant. You're gonna see things and you're gonna hear things and you're gonna do things that are absolutely unimaginable to you. And you're gonna proclaim me to the nations. But I'm also gonna give you a mission. Your mission is you're gonna to go to the Gentiles and you're gonna proclaim the gospel to them. You're gonna to proclaim to them that they might turn from the darkness that they're in to the light, from death to life, to receive forgiveness. He says, I'm gonna put you on a trajectory with a mission. Do you understand? This is the story that we too are involved in. This is our story. Jesus interrupts our life, brings us to himself. In faith, we submit to him. And what does he do? He puts us on a brand new trajectory. You see, this is why we do what we do. This is why we go on missions, not only in July, but all year long. This is why we're sending people out with the gospel. This is why we do special needs ministry. This is why we do the pathway, so we try to get you involved in growing as a Christian. This is why we plant campuses, so that we might send people out to proclaim on mission what Jesus calls us to. This is our story. What I tell you we'd learn today, no one's outside of God's interruption. Number two, all interruptions have a purpose. We kind of need to get that into our minds. All interruptions 
have a purpose. Say, well, why is that? Well, it's because when interruptions interrupt our lives, we try to avoid them. Have you noticed that? When interruptions interrupt our lives, the first thing that we try to do is to skirt around it, to avoid it. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul did. Jesus himself said, Paul, you have been kicking against the goad. All right, well, what does that mean? Well, okay, that, that, that's an agricultural term. They lived in an agrarian culture. They would have understood what that meant. We don't, so I need to help you understand what is a, what is a goad. Well, a goad was an instrument that a farmer, an oxman, would use. It's a long stick, protruding stick. Sometimes had two, three sharp points on the end. The, the other end near the oxman would be large, kind of weighted, and he would lay that on the plow. And if he wanted to goad the oxes one direction or the other, he would use that stick to poke them. Or if they weren't going at all, he, he, would, he would align it right with their hindquarters, and when they stopped, he would poke them to move forward. But then here's the thing about the goat. Oxen can be stubborn, and sometimes they will kick against where the oxman wants the animal to go. So he would lay that right up against their hindquarters so that if they were to rear up and to kick, they themselves would kind of goad them themselves. They would puncture their own skin. So the more they kicked, the worse it became for them. They were causing their own problems. You hear what Jesus is saying to the apostle Paul? Paul, you've been doing this. I've been presenting right before you but you've been kicking against it. You say, when, when could this have happened? Would you remember what we learned about? Acts chapter seven. Paul talks about being at the place of murders, those who were a part of the way. I think he was referencing Stephen, the first martyred Christian. We read about it in Acts chapter seven. He's brought before the high priest and he weaves the history, the Jewish history together for the high priest and brings it to the point of demonstrating that Jesus is actually the Messiah. Paul was there. He explains how Jesus lived a perfect life and that he acted out all that the Old Testament had proclaimed, Paul was there. When the Pharisees, the high priest, the Sadducees, the scribes gathered together and picked up rocks to stone Stephen to death, Paul was there. And it says he was actually holding some of the cloaks of the men who were doing the stoning. When Stephen said, forgive them of the sins that they're doing, while he was dying, Paul was there. You gotta wonder, was this scene etched into his mind? You see, not all of us are gonna have this bright light or hear the voice of Jesus, but will often kick against the goad, will often resist. But what does Paul tell us? What does Paul teach us 
that it's a losing battle to resist the prompting of the Lord. Are you there? Has the Lord been prompting you? Whether as someone who's been a faithful follower for many years and he's prompting you into an area of spiritual maturity and growth, you do not want to go and you sense it. Are you kicking against the goad? Or perhaps you're investigating the claims of Jesus and you're just not quite ready to commit. Are you kicking against the goad? Paul would tell us it's a losing battle to resist the Lord. See, what have we learned? No one is outside of God's interruptions. All interruptions have a purpose. And then number three, divine interruptions always result in transformation. Do you, do you remember what Paul did after his transformation? After his experience? After the interruption? He submitted to the Lord. You say, how do you know that? Well, come back to chapter nine where we were. And in chapter nine, towards the end of the story, about the middle of verse 19, we read, for some days he was with the apostles at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. This is a complete reversal. Before he was trying to kill those who would claim, make such a statement. Now he himself is making the statement. Verse 21, and all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests? He said, they're still thinking he's gonna be doing what he was doing. They didn't realize the transformation. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. You see, divine interruptions always result in transformation. But here's the thing. It requires surrender and submission. It doesn't matter at what stage we are at. There will be divine interruptions until we surrender, until we submit. It might be before that relationship with Christ begins, but it might also be while you're in the midst of that relationship. Are you surrendering? Are you submitting? Here's the thing. Divine interruptions are the stories of our lives. God uses them all throughout our journey from the beginning all the way through until we meet him face to face. And they all are characterized by the surrender of our will to him and our submission. Are you doing that? Will you stand with me? And let's pray together. And I'm gonna ask that 
if God is speaking to you today in the area of submission, surrender, that you, that you give that over to him now. And it might simply be by bowing your head, closing your eyes, and just opening your, the palms of your hands to him and say, yes, Lord, I'm done kicking against the goad. I welcome the interruption. For some of you, that might be committing in faith to following Jesus Christ. To others of you, as faithful Christ followers, it might be that you submit to him today. What is he calling? What has he been impressing upon your life? What area of growth is he calling you into that you might have been resisting? With open hands, bowed heads, simply say, yes, Lord, I submit, I follow after you. I surrender. Every divine interruption will lead ultimately to this point. And the question is, will you surrender for transformation?